Well, again, good morning to you. It's good to have you here at Chapel Point. As we jump into a new series today, you just saw the bumper for it called Forward Faith. We're going to spend the next few months walking through the book of James. I'm excited because I haven't walked through the book of James in terms of preaching through the entirety of it in probably better than a decade. And so I'm excited to be able to do that because I love the book. In fact, if, if someone were to say which book really, as a believer, has impacted you the most in terms of how you live your life, I would have to say the book of James. Be a close, close right along with the book of Romans. And so for me, it's incredibly impactful to recognize how much influence this book has had on my life because I recognize contextually what it's coming out of. And so we are, we're, we're looking at how do we move forward and who Christ desires for us to be rather than what others expect of us. It's a life lesson I teach my kids on a continual basis. And let's be honest, when, when I'm here in front of you, I know that the majority of people who are showing up in a church today, they're, they're believers. And so that's who I'm speaking to. But hopefully this is something that's going to resonate with everybody, especially even those who haven't quite decided if they really want to give their life to Christ. We know that life is difficult. It's one of the reasons I appreciate Rachel. I think Rachel's already back out here somewhere, maybe. Um, is she back out here? Rachel, are you here? There you are. Um, I, I can pick on you now because you are just in front of everybody. Um, and thinking about her journey with her own family because of her faith. And knowing even more the details that come with that, right? And that's right here, Grand Rapids. And then there are other people who have experienced difficulty as well. I think about even yesterday, we got to celebrate the life of, of Dennis Hill right here in this place at 11 a.m. yesterday. And thinking about the difficulty that some people are encountering and going through financially in other ways as well. And yet here comes James, and he acknowledges right away that life can be filled with emptiness it can be filled with trouble it can be filled with hardship and he just calls it out right, guys jesus understood human difficulty okay jesus under understood human trouble and he groaned at times and he wept and he cried for his friend lazarus with the sisters mary and martha his soul was in anguish at times that's why he called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we see this as a difficulty. And yet in James chapter 1, verse 12, which there's no way we're going to get to verse 12 today, but in verse 12 he says, if you persevere through that test, you will be blessed. You will receive the crown of life. And I want to give you this morning some background of what James was writing out of. Because some of us think that James is saying, and even other authors, we think about Paul, we think about uh, Peter, we think about other individuals of faith, and we go, well, they don't understand what it was like today. They don't have technology the way that we have technology. They don't have all the struggles and the strife that we have today. Um, so do they really mean everything that they're saying? I'm going to give you a little bit of background. In fact, these may be a few things that you might want to jot down so that you can better understand what James is being written out of, all right? So I, I want to go back because James is one of the earliest written books that we have in terms of somewhere between 52 and 60-ish 
Okay, it was, it was written early on, right? This is only a couple of decades, not even possibly after the time that Jesus Christ himself ascended. And so if you look at the time frame of it, there, there's so much that we can learn from in terms of what's happening in the New Testament church. So let's go ahead and jump back to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we know that we have Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. Um, Holy Spirit blows and does this mighty work, and he is moving. The people of the church are doing amazing things right now. And you, you jump into Acts chapter 5, you have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, people who are committing to the church, but really not being honest and committing all that they have. They're, they're lying about stuff, and so as a result of that, we know that they get struck down and they die. Later on, in that same chapter in Acts chapter 5, what you have are people like Peter. Right? You, you have individuals coming and doing these amazing healings and wonders, and more and more people are starting to believe in Jesus Christ. They're calling on the name of Jesus Christ. Well, the leaders, the religious leaders, don't like this at all. And so what do they begin doing? They begin arresting the apostles and throwing them into prison, and at times even beating them. And they're certainly, after the beating and throwing them into prison, they're saying, when you leave this place, you never preach of Jesus Christ again. That's one of the things that's happening. Of course, God intervened in that, and supernaturally he releases them, and they go to the house, and they start, the next day they're out telling everybody about Jesus. Nothing was going to stop them from telling people about Jesus Christ. That's Acts chapter 5, but the persecution continued on. Then you get people like Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Hopefully you know the story well. Start in Acts chapter 6, read through chapter 7, chapter 8 as well, but primarily 6 and 7. And you have this guy who is speaking on behalf. He goes before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the, was the primary religious leaders of the day. There's about 70 to 72 on a rotating basis that were there in Jerusalem, the primary one that they had. And so here he is speaking to the Sanhedrin and, and telling them all about who Christ really was. But there is this Jewish sect called the Freedmen, and they began arguing with him. And so they took him out, and we know that they began to cast false witness about him. And so he ended up being stoned to death. Why? Because jealousy, they were jealous. I have to believe a lot of it was fear, a lot of it was jealousy. Jealousy breeds hatred, and hatred breeds violence. And so this is what they were coming out of. And the persecution escalated even further beyond that, right? You, you can go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 26, where even you find people trying to, to, to change their language to make it look like they're blaspheming Jesus Christ. We know that King Herod arrested some of the early Christians because he, he didn't really have a good reason for it. He just knew that it pleased the Jews, and so he would arrest some of them, and he would throw them into jail uh, or into prison, and he would have some of them beaten because it would make the people around him happy. So this is what's taking place right now. He beheaded James, the brother of John. Now, that's a different James that we're going to be speaking about. The author of James is actually the half-brother of Jesus Christ. But James the apostle, we know that he ended up being beheaded. He was the first apostle to die in the persecution. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. He was stripped of his clothes. He was flogged by the Romans, thrown into prison. We know that when the Jews would do this very thing, they would typically flog someone, beat them, whip them 39 times. And so that's what was taking place at this time as well. 
fact, of the 12 apostles, the only one to die of a natural death was the apostle John, who died on the island of Patmos, where he had been set aside. That's where he wrote the, the book of Revelation. So that's what's happening here. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11, listen to that. Hebrews chapter 11, 35 through 37. I'm trying to give you a backdrop. This is giving you a backdrop, an understanding of what's been taking place when the book of James comes out. So you know that, oh, he can say what he's saying. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35 through 37. This, it says, Others were tortured, refused to be released. Some faced jeers and fogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. That was talking about believers. And so here comes James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he begins to paint a picture of life. And then he says, if you believe in Jesus, let your life live like, look like this. Live like this. Let it be like this. And so that's what you're going to hear over and over today and in the coming weeks. Really, James, to me, is painting a portrait. It's painting a picture of what the life of a believer should look like. No excuses whatsoever. He says, this, this is what your life is supposed to be looking like. And so it starts to remodel in your own thinking, in your own mind, what that person is to be, someone who is devoted to Jesus Christ. And so then we have that opportunity today to jump into that. As I said before, we know it's one of the earliest of the New Testament writings. It's five, it's, it's five chapters preaching on practical life of what it should be as a Christian. Now, one of the things I love is um, I would encourage you this week to jump into Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 as well. Can I, can I go ahead and give you some homework? Um, sometime this week, I would, I would love for you to read James chapter 1 every day. And you're going to go, really? Every day? Yes. Memorize it. I would, anybody, uh, and hopefully you remember this, anybody going into ministry, I tell them to memorize James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. If they're not wanting to do it, I tell them they shouldn't go into ministry. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Continues on from there. But if you're not wanting to memorize that, knowing the life that you should be living, you shouldn't go into ministry. I'd encourage you to read through James chapter 1 every single day. And then can I encourage you to read through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? It's something, a little thing called the Sermon on the Mount. I think the two of these run parallel. Many would tell you, many scholars would even say, hey, you know what? James is really painting the picture of the very first sermon that Christ was preaching off the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Where he is expanding upon that. He's expounding upon that. And helping us to better understand what it really is. And so the two seem to run parallel with many looking at the book of James as almost a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. And so here's James as this practical commentary. Maybe that's why I like it so much. I think it's a practical commentary of what our life should look like. And it's going to force all of us to look at our life and go, wow, 
Christianity really is about action on Monday rather than, than just worship on Sunday. Something I've heard my entire life. And so here's James. James propels the believer to move forward in modeling Jesus with every word spoken, the diligence of walking faithfully through temptation, and passionately responding to the transformation brought by knowing God. That's the book of James. Now, I want to tell you a little bit more about James himself first. Um, now that you have hopefully a little bit better understanding of what this is coming out of. All that persecution, all that hardship, all that difficulty. It's coming out of that and yet it's still telling the believer this is how you should be living life. Right? Persecution wasn't the primary. It was the expected. The primary was living a life that modeled and looked like Jesus. And here's James. And he's coming into play here. And, and he's throwing this out. Right? There's, there's four different James that we know of in the New Testament. And as I said before, this is half-brother of Jesus. Um, Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 refers to James as one of the pillars of the church. So right there you know some of the significance of who he is and, and what he had done. He was a man of great stature, great, great reputation, of great strength. Um, great guy to model yourself after, right? We know in Acts chapter 21, it was the James that's mentioned, that mentioned in Acts chapter 21 as being one of the leaders of the council in Jerusalem uh, that's who we're talking about here. This is the same James that was martyred in the year 62. Not the same James as I mentioned before in Acts chapter 12, that we see his death. And here's James, who of all people can instruct us. And he says, your talk is cheap, your service is invaluable. Right? And today I think you'd go, I don't hear this anymore. Because what you live isn't replicating what you're speaking. And he's saying, your talk is cheap, but your service, your, who you are in Christ and who you actually are becoming, that's invaluable. That's what matters so much. And I, I think he's really, I mean, we know he's addressing all of these believers, these Jewish believers who were scattered throughout, and he's addressing them and saying, guys, I know you're being persecuted, but live according to Christ. That's what's going to make an eternal difference. That's what's going to have eternal impact. Quit being so consumed by things that are temporary. And he's calling this out over and over and over. And I think some of them are probably like going, what? Quit telling me this. I just want to be left alone. And he's going, no, don't be left alone. Represent Jesus. And he's, he's letting them know this. He's going, guys, you're claiming to know Christ, but you're not truly meditating on his word. You're not being saturated in his presence. You're not, you're not allowing it to really take hold the way you need to, right? It's the story of when, when I had just gotten married and a friend of mine was like, hey, you should be a blonde, like in terms of hair. I was a youth pastor. Youth pastors do crazy stuff all the time. Just like our guy here, he shaved his beard, and the next day it was already back. But um, 
I'm like, so weird, right? Like, do you shave four times a day? Um, so all of a sudden, I was like, hey, I should go blonde. And my friend, and I've told you the story before, she's like, yeah, I'll help you out. And so we bleached it, but it started burning my scalp, so I took it off too early, and I ended up being neon orange. Oh, it was not fun. Because the next week, I was in my brother-in-law's wedding. Ah, yeah, he hasn't spoken to me since. So many of us today have taken a little bit of Jesus where it impacts us a little bit so that we can say we have salvation. But there are very few people who have allowed Jesus Christ to sit on their lives long enough to truly impact them and to make them look like the model of Christianity that Christ desires. And so many of us are walking around with flaming orange hair rather than the bleach blonde or whatever illustration you want to use because we've chickened out and said, I've had enough. This is hard. I don't want to give up any more of me in order to represent Christ. And so we've stopped short. You're following me on that, right? Yes? And we'll make every single excuse as to the reason why there is. Well, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't give so much energy to this, but God can use me in that anyway. And God is a redemptive, glorious God of forgiveness, a God of mercy and a God of love. But let me tell you now that God wants us not to live our own lives and then occasionally invite him in. He wants us to reflect his life in everything we do. And James is painting that picture for us. That's why in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You can quote it all day long, but if your life is not reflecting it, you are deceiving yourself. Some of you know that you're living a life of deception when it comes to your faith. You plug it in whenever you think you need to, but otherwise you live your life. why in James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let them show it. Let it be made manifest in the way that he lives. When people push on you, they should see Jesus come out. And so here's James. And he's under the constant threat of persecution, right? The, you, you have the Roman Empire who's going, you know what? Um, they, the, Rome, the, the Roman Empire just thought that Christians were troublemakers, right? That, that was the idea behind them. You want to talk about a stigma. In the Roman Empire, there's a stigma that Christians were just simple troublemakers. And then you have the Jewish leaders as well who just thought Christians were blasphemers. 
And so in the midst of all of that, identity, there was somewhat of an identity crisis even. I think we have an identity crisis today in terms of Christians as well. James wants to convince the reader that, that religious activities aren't going to benefit them unless they truly manifest godliness from their heart. You can go to church as much as you want, but if you're not going to really live according to Christ, you're, 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 you're being a detriment. When I was, uh, years ago, I was in seminary. Somebody asked one of the professors, like, why don't you think pastors just go ahead and tell the congregant that if they just want to act like a Christian occasionally, but then every other day live according to self, that they're actually hurting the church? Why don't you think pastors speak that? The professor spoke very quickly, and he says, because the church would then be empty. James is providing for us a measuring device to know if we're really following Christ. And some of us are measuring our own Christianity according to all types of things that don't really matter, right? My, um, my oldest has turned 14, and I think he's most proud of the fact that he's every day Every day, he wants to stand up against me back to back to see if he's taller. Every day. I'm like, you didn't grow an inch overnight. You, don't, you never know, Dad. The growth plates can expand quickly. I'm like, really? Every day. And he wants to know if he's there. And he's not. He's at least one-eighth of an inch shorter. And he always will be. Amen. And he wants to know where he's measuring up to. He wants to know if he's there. But what I keep telling him, I said, son, I'm only 5'10". You're measuring to the wrong thing. Don't worry about me. The only thing I'm good for when it comes to athletics is being the water boy. What are you doing? Like, and, and I think so often that's what we're doing. We're measuring ourselves up to the wrong standard. We need to be measuring ourselves to Jesus. And that's what James does. He's going, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. Let's go. I know. He knows the persecution is hard. He knows it is severe. He had his, his friends were being executed. And so here comes James. And he desires for each person to show the character of living in a forward faith. And it's just a series, to me, James is a series of tests. Over and over going, am I, am I living according to Christ? Not to say it's all about works. We'll get into that in a second. Because there's a big debate with James. Is it all about works or is it all about faith? But it's just this series of tests over and over of going, man, do I look like that? Do I look like that? So James, when you consider contextually what's taking place, 
James is letting us know that it's not about living a life that you bemoan and go, oh, i got to serve Christ. It's even in the midst of the persecution, you live this life of joy because you know what Christ has done for you. I asked you to memorize a passage this last summer, walking through the, uh, several of the Psalms, right? Psalm 1611. It says, you've made known to me the path of life. In your, in your presence, there is what? Fullness of, <laughs> you're cheating. It's there. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. He's letting us know what that life looks like. One of the greatest challenges I'm going to have, and you're going, is he going to get to a verse? I will. But you need to understand all that's happening here. One of my goals for us as a church is for all of us to say, wait a second, let's make a commitment today. I'm asking everybody in this place to make a commitment today to say, you know what? I am willing over the next few months to truly, to truly be honest about evaluating my life as a Christian and if there is anything that is not following the pattern that James has written for us so that we can follow more like Christ, then I'm willing to gut that out of my life so that I can live like Jesus in every single component. To be able to go, you know what? My life doesn't look like that. I, my, my words aren't speaking like that. The way that I endure temptation, it's not looking like that. The way that I'm handling favoritism and, and the way that I'm handling in exclusiveness and all these different things that come into play anything that you'll be willing to say, you know what, I need to change. I need sanctification. I need transformation in my life. Are you willing to do that? Because if we go on that journey together, let me tell you, it's going to be a lot of fun. God wants you to live the most abundant and full life possible. As I was saying before, some people think that James conflicts with Paul in terms of faith versus works. The answer to that is no. To Paul, Paul was answering the question, how is salvation received? It's received through what? Faith. You can't earn it. So he's addressing that. James is answering the question, how was salvation verified? You see the difference between the two. Here's Paul, how is salvation received? Here's James going, how is salvation verified? And his, work, his, his answer is by works alone. It's received by faith, but it's verified by works. We work because we are saved we don't work to be saved. You're following me, right? And so here's James writing to all these. Their dispersed are really the Jews who have been believers who have been scattered throughout. But I believe writing to all believers. And this is how he begins. James chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, I'm expecting to walk you like three verses today, so don't worry. James, 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. I just mentioned you, he's writing to the 12 tribes of the Jewish people who are believers scattered throughout, right? Um, I believe he's also writing to all believers in Jesus Christ. Um, But there he is, and he's calling it This is what he says. <laughs> to me, it's the first test. I told you, here's the book of James, and it's a series of tests to help you go, am I really about Christ? And he says, James, a servant of God. Don't you love how he introduces himself? I mean, right away he says, James, a servant of God. He's labeling himself as a servant of God. He's like, that's what I want to make sure that I'm known for. And some of us want to be known for all types of things. We want to be known for, hey, I make a lot of money. Or, hey, I went to this school. Some of us, we just want to, we want people to know that, right? Or I cheer for this school. Or, hey, I I work here. This is what I do for an occupation for a living. But do we often introduce ourselves? Do we go, you know what, this is how I want to be identified. I'm a servant of God. That's what really matters to me. And he just calls it out. And and maybe that's the question is, how do you desire to be introduced? Hey, uh, my name is Bob, and I'm a banker. Or, hey, my name is Chuck, I'm an engineer. Or, hey, um, yeah, you know, and and you're still taught. Some of you want to be introduced by what you did 20 years ago. Some of you would rather live in I remember wins rather than this is who God is asking me to be now. I remember, man, I remember I used to be pretty fast. My, my daughter started running cross country, and she told me her two-mile time. And I, was, I was like, yeah, I used, I used to do that. And she goes, dead for real. How long ago was that? <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's 30 years ago. And we're still thinking about who we used to be and what we used to be able to accomplish when it comes to certain things. What, 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 what would happen if believers today started being so consumed with what God could do in their life, with what God, with who God desires for them to be moving forward, rather than living in the past all the time? Because here's someone who knows persecution, and he's coming and going, you know what? It's not about James, a sufferer. James, someone who has been hurts. James, someone who knows persecution. James, someone who is living in the woe is me's. He goes, James, I'm a servant of God. He just calls it out. He says, this is what it's about. This is what we need to be. And he, he just goes in and he says, okay, this is it. Consider, this is verses 2 and 3 and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials, when you have tests, right, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. Please let let perseverance finish its work so that you may, may be mature and complete. 
lacking in nothing, not lacking anything at all. And he just jumps in. That's why you need to know all that background for the last 15 or 20 minutes. Because here's James. And he's teaching the difference between trials that come from outward circumstances and temptations that come from our hearts. And that's one way to better think about it. You think some people go, what's the difference in testing and temptation? I would look at trials and testing being similar, something that comes from outward circumstances. Um, temptation often comes from our heart. Some of the difference there. And then he, he, he calls out that word that really messes with a lot of us. Consider it pure, what's it say? Consider it pure. Do you know a lot of people don't like that word? A lot of us don't like that word because we know we don't currently truly live in the joy of the Lord. And so in order to live in it, that means we have to what? Change. And you've heard the backdrop of this story, the background of this story. And I think a lot of us, if James were here today and he stood up in front of us and said, hey, consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, we would go, oh, I'm not going to listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't know. He doesn't know what I've been through. He knows what you've been through. The majority of people today don't like joy because that means we have to change because they're not living in the joy of the Lord. And he's saying, no, it's, there's so much more. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because we know that that's gonna, the testing of that faith is going to produce perseverance and that perseverance is going to make you more of who God wants you to be so that he can use you in even more difficult circumstances to be a representation of hope because the world has no hope. You see, one of the things that Christians need to start doing is stop looking at your life only considering what God is wanting for you. Start recognizing what God is wanting to do with your life to impact others. There's nothing in our life that should be happening, taking place, coming to fruition that is not representing Christ. And so he tells us, listen, the handling of hardship, this is what he's really addressing. The way you handle hardship really speaks to the depth of your faith. The way you respond to difficulties is a test of your faith. So here's James, and he, he's really looking at us, and he's saying, where are you, um, where are you on the faith meter? Because then, not only does he say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, in verse 4, he says, and let it ride out. Like, let it finish its work. 
Don't cut it short. Don't take the hair dye off too quickly. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Really, today is to get you just to go, are you up for the task for the next three months? Right? Are, are we up for allowing God to take hold of our life in such a way? He's already given a few tests to us. One, how do you want to be identified with? How do you want to be labeled? Another test that he gives us is he says, are you willing to consider it pure joy even when you face hardship, difficulty, trials of many kinds? Some of us are so concerned with resenting God in the midst of hardship that we have stopped learning from God. <laughs> it's one of the things I, I appreciate so much about Scripture is it's honest. God never runs in and says, hey, if you believe in me, it's going to be easy. He says, no, if you believe in me, even in the hardship I can use your life, and I can give you peace and comfort, but then I can use your life to be a witness, to be an example. One of the reasons I bring up my son in terms of him growing and being so short is because if, if his desire for spiritual growth stopped where, where I am, Hear me say I am a prideful, arrogant, horrible father. If my spiritual aspirations for my children stop where I currently stand, I am a horrible father. Because I have set for them the wrong goal. Do I want my children to, to go through persecution? No, but they will. And I would rather them represent Christ than anything else. So I want to pray with you. And I, I want you just to sit for a moment. The team's going to come back out, but I, I, want, I want to give you just a moment just to sit and to think about where you are in your faith. And dare I ask you to consider where you're willing to go. Because some of you think that you've already arrived. 
And there's nobody in this room that has. But I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I... I don't care. Because Christ is running... This is why Christ did this. He jumped into the world, and he says... It's by faith only, if you believe in me, that you can have salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to earn it. And so he offers his life. He took all the sin, all the baggage, all the difficulty, all the crud, and he took it on his own life. And he says, I'm going to take it for you. And he didn't do all that so that you can find a nice, comfortable seat spiritually speaking and never move again Christianity is not about sitting in a spiritual lazy boy it's about getting up and running toward that cross because we know that it's empty we know that it's no longer there because he was put in a tomb And now we even know that the tomb is empty, and so we live a life that regardless of the persecution, our only true desire is to represent Jesus. And when that happens, your heart begins to break differently for people who don't know him. So let's just take a moment and sit and think where you are. Where are you right now spiritually? And where are you willing to go? Are you willing to go further? Let's take a time and just pray. jump into your word and allow you to direct. In Christ's name, amen. I called out Rachel before. You're baptized. Well done. Greg Newsom. Well done, friend. Will you, will you stand for just a moment? I can do that. He was just baptized. So you already stood in front of everybody. I'm not going to ask you to say a word. I think James was writing to people like this. Because you know hardship, don't you? Right? You know loss, you know difficulty, you know, you know what it is to have suffering. And yet you're still moving forward. Thank you for being a witness of the gospel. Will you be the same? Let's stand as we worship Him.